I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Welcome to this session of View from the Big Chair, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. And today we're joined by our guest, Vatik Sharma. Batik is one of our younger professionals, but he has been able to rise through the ranks pretty quickly. Um, Batik, if you could share with our audience how your administration journey has been going. I understand you started as an engineer. Uh, that is correct, Marlon. Yes. Firstly, thank you for having me. Uh, yes. So I am uh, originally from India. I got my uh, undergrad degree in computer science engineering. Um, so after completing my, my bachelor's degree in computer science, I worked for about a year, um, more so focused on the, the coding side of things. So like working, um, developing certain softwares, uh, using a couple of languages like C++ and SQL. Um, and it was at the same time where you know, I was looking for the next step in my career, uh, which could have been potentially in the form of, <clears throat> of getting a further master's degree. Um, and then I really thought and asked myself, like, what's really important to me? And one thing that stood consistent with my, you know, career so far, or even on my personal life, was that I was always very fascinated by the business of sports. Um, growing up in India, I played cricket, soccer, and ping pong at the school and college level. Uh, but again, very curious about the business side of things. Um, so I did a lot of research and essentially applied to a couple of uh, top sport management programs, uh, one of them being uh, the, the, the master's program at the Florida State University in Tallahassee. Uh, and yeah, so that was my big break into the sports industry by coming to the U.S. to pursue my master's in sports management. Now, while you were at Florida State, you participated in quite a few internships. Tell our listeners about those internships and about how they helped you to determine your goals for sports administration. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one of the first things that, um, you know, I, I came to understand is that, especially since I did not have too much practical experience uh, as it relates to the sports industry, I knew from the get-go that, of course, I want to do well in my academics, uh, maintain a good GPA, uh, get a good understanding of, you know, um, the business side of things uh, uh, by attending all the lectures. Um, 
But more importantly, it's really important to get that experiential uh, learning. So what I did is I found a lot of opportunities, firstly within the Tallahassee, Florida State community. I did a lot of volunteering work, firstly, uh, to meet a lot of people who could help me essentially um, in, in the long run. So I did a lot of volunteering with FSU football, FSU baseball, uh, our soccer team, the women's soccer team, which actually recently just won the national championship. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we have a great women's soccer team and really proud of, you know, how year in, year out, they keep, uh, keep bringing in those trophies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was really fortunate to be able to do a lot of volunteering work. And through those volunteering opportunities, um, I worked for Seminole Sports uh, Marketing, uh, which is Florida State's uh, athletics internal uh, marketing arm. So th while there, I was able to wear multiple hats from operations to marketing to taking on a few finance projects. And it was also at the same time in 2013 when the Florida State football team went, went on to will, win the national championship. So again, being able to immerse myself in that environment where, you know, it certainly helped that our football team was doing so well. Uh, but just getting that first exposure to collegiate athletics, I think, gave me a great, great perspective about, you know, how you just got to be humble and hungry and put in the long hours uh, without really worrying about, you know, what kind of work or capacity uh, you are providing to the overall team. Um, and at that same time, so I think that internship certainly helped me. Uh, but again, since I was looking to set myself apart and build a resume that would eventually get a full-time job, I was also able to secure another internship, this time uh, in Hilton Head, South Carolina, with the International Junior Golf Tour. Um, the interesting thing about that internship was it, was it started out as a tournament operations internship, um, where I was essentially responsible for the day-to-day -day operations management of things on the golf course. Um, you know, we used to have tournaments. Uh, specifically, uh, I was assigned the, the, the Southeast region. And while I was there, I was responsible for, you know, making sure the course is set up. Uh, I was also responsible for a lot of um, uh, on-field plays, just being able to, you know, confirm the calls that were that were taking place, and really making sure that the experience that the, that the junior golfer is providing to some of some of his junior golfers and the families that, that travel with them is of uh, you know international standards and quality. So that was essentially my day-to-day -day role at that time. Given my international experience, um, I kind of took the extra time to think outside the box and really come up with a business plan which would attract more international junior golfers uh, from all, all over the world. So while I was you know, focusing my energies in the day, focusing on the operation side of things, I would come back in the evening and just work on a business plan. And within a couple of months, I shared that with my manager back then, who I was reporting to, and that essentially was a great way for me to kind of also dip my toes into, you know, business development and marketing and sponsorship. So really getting to wear different hats. And I think that was a great learning experience for me. Like, I think it helped me understand, like, these are the different kind of roles that one can, you know, immerse themselves in sports 
And just getting the ability to wear different hats during that six month internship really opened my eyes to what's of interest to me. So I think a couple of things that stood out to me was business development is certainly that, uh, you know, was, was of great interest to me. And then the other thing was sports sponsorship. Um, and so some of the partners that the International Junior Golf Tour worked with uh, were obviously in the golf space, but we also had a couple of international sponsors as well. So just getting the ability to work with them and understand how they can leverage the Junior Golf Tour's brand name to be able to sell their, uh, to, to be able to reach their target audience uh, was certainly something that uh, interested me for sure. So these are a couple of internships that I did. Um, and then of course, I went on to uh, work for Disney for about a year and a half. Um, again, great experience, uh, you know, just uh, just for the benefit of, of the listeners, uh, we used to call it Disney's biggest kept secret, which is the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in uh, Kissimmee, Florida. Um, it's essentially a 225 acre uh, uh, property where which really caters to a lot of youth events, um, the youth events which we you know across various sports. And while I was there, I was able to really my emphasis was really on the business development side of things. Uh, but I was able to again work on a multitude of projects ranging from uh, a first of its kind, you know, international soccer event, which was the Florida Cup. Um, where we had, you know, two international uh, German soccer teams compete against two international Brazilian soccer teams. And this event was televised on ESPN to about 125 countries. So I think that in itself was a great learning experience where, again, my manager just kind of let me uh, run the ship with the project. So getting that, you know, exposure and experience where you're working with, you um, in uh, external international, uh, you know, chief executives, and at the same time also working with uh, top management at the ESPN and Disney level was a great learning experience for sure. Now, business development is very broad. So for our young professionals who are still trying to figure out where they're going to make their mark in sport administration, explain a little more in depth what business development involves on a daily basis? Certainly, yeah. So I think I can share, uh, you know, specifically around my time at Disney Sports. So the way uh, business development, at least the team that I worked on, which was really focused on the soccer side of business, uh, was you want to obviously bring more and more soccer events to Disney's uh, property. But at the same time, you want to find a way where you can essentially generate multiple sources of sources of revenue. And so when you think of a global brand like Disney, I think we would really fall short of giving every youth athlete who comes to the, to the Disney sports complex if they do not go to the parks, right? If they do not have the whole Disney experience where they stay at the hotels. So while business development essentially means bringing in more revenue, uh, specifically to Disney, it was a very interesting business model where our goal was to have youth athletes, their teams, coaches, parents, families come, uh, obviously pay, pay the gate revenue to which they can also 
um, you know, have access to the sports complex, but at the same time, make it a Disney experience for yourself. Where you can even go to the to the theme parks uh, and stay at our Disney hotels and resorts. So that's essentially what was my role as far as business development was concerned, like working collaboratively with different departments to be able to maximize revenue opportunities for every single soccer sports event that uh, we, we signed on on our end. And what are some of those other departments that you had to work with? Oh, uh, in business development, you get to work with each and every department uh, from marketing to finance, to working with people on the grounds uh, in operations who are putting the, the events uh, on display on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you you want to work very closely with, with the legal team as well, because every time you, you're drafting a proposal, you want to make sure that you know everything is in order. Uh, obviously, when you're signing a contract with, with a company like Disney, uh, we had our own you know, specific stipulations that one had to adhere to. Uh, and every other company uh, has their own, you know, certain uh, unique uh, themes that they want to address while signing a contract. So being able to work with various departments like legal, marketing, finance, operations, uh, digital, social, uh, you know, I think business development really provides you with the opportunity to touch on possibly almost every facet of the whole sports business uh, e- ecosystem. Now, you mentioned the Florida Cup. Yeah. A lot of people who haven't worked with event management don't understand how many people are involved in actually producing an event like that. Approximately how many volunteers would you say were needed to run the Florida Cup? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, so the event was, I think, uh, across 10 to 15 days. So let's say two weeks. Um, We needed volunteers two months in advance, to be honest, because given the magnitude of the event, given the stakeholders that were involved, we uh, we needed people uh, who would essentially bring all these uh, professional athletes who were flying in from Germany, Brazil, to be able to get them to their specific hotels and then bring them back to training to our Disney uh, complex, uh, sports uh, complex. So that was one piece, right? And then the other piece was media. So while Disney has its own dedicated media uh, uh, through ESPN, we certainly you know, found ourselves uh, requiring more volunteers than usual to be able to put an event of this magnitude. So, I mean, obviously it's been a while, uh, but I would say like throughout the course of, of those 10 to 15 days, even going back to the two months leading up to the event, we would have had at least 100 to 150 volunteers. Uh, these events are enormous. That I, I worked in media relations for the 1996 Olympics and we had 3,000 media um, come cover that and that wasn't including the broadcasters those were just the print media so i just want oh, yes. the the listeners to understand that these individual events in and of themselves are places where they can gain a lot of experience absolutely 
Now, you also mentioned uh, golf tournaments. I know you worked at Hilton Head, and you also worked in Florida with some golf tournaments. Describe for the listeners some of the volunteer opportunities that exist around golf tournaments. Well, it's there are tremendous opportunities as far as volunteering is concerned. Um, and I'll go back again to my time uh, at Florida State. When I was there, um, again, Florida State has always had a very good uh, men's golf team. Um, and while I, I think I was able to volunteer for four, if I'm not mistaken, four golf tournaments that took the, that took place at the Seminole Golf Course, uh, beautiful golf course. And in terms of volunteering, like there is just so much you can do. Um, I always used to uh, find myself volunteering in some capacity in the clubhouse. Uh, great place to to be able to like network and meet people because uh, after uh, a round of uh, you know nine holes or eighteen holes, everyone essentially finds themselves uh, getting refreshments in the clubhouse. So you know, I think a clubhouse is a great way, a great place where you can volunteer and really do, you know devote your time, and that can come in various capacities uh, as a cashier, as making sure that you know the clubs that uh, someone who's gonna be going on to the golf course uh, has and uh, everything in terms of um, paperwork and billing is taken care of as well. So Clubhouse is a great place where you can through volunteering uh, really develop multiple amount, uh, multiple skill sets. Um, and then once you step out of the Clubhouse, you know, you have the, the, a huge golf course at your disposal where you can do a lot of different things. You just need to, ask people like how can you be of uh, you know service uh, and so there were times where you know I would just be responsible for going back and forth uh, taking players uh, on our golf carts so driving them from one hole to another uh, that's a great volunteering opportunity as well at the golf course uh, another thing what you can do is like mark all the all the golf tees uh, and that comes with experience uh, where, you know, you need to be able to understand how to exactly, uh, you know, before a, a golf tournament starts, how do you exactly mark a golf course? Uh, so that's uh, something that, uh, you know, certainly is a great way to learn about the golf industry. Um, one thing I, I certainly enjoyed, and it was more of a, uh, a great way to really immerse myself across the golf course was, painting sticks, right? So throughout all these golf courses, you have these various wooden sticks, so to speak. So before every golf tournament, as a volunteer, I would be responsible to paint our wooden stakes, uh, white, blue, uh, and red, depending on where these uh, you know, stakes needed to be uh, put, put in the ground. So I think there's just so much you can do as far as you know volunteering is concerned on the golf course. Another thing is being a standard bearer. When you're walking with with a group of golfers, you can always be, you know walk with them and hold like a scoreboard, uh, and that again is is a great way to interact with some of the golfers, uh, talk to them about their experiences. Um, there's just, there's so much so much potential as far as you know uh, volunteering is concerned on the on the golf course. Now, mentioning golf tournaments, when I was in law school uh, down at University of Miami, I volunteered with a lot of golf tournaments. And some of the other areas where we had a lot of volunteers were in registration, 
when the mm-hmm. golfers show up in the morning, making sure that they have their shirts, making sure that they know who they're going to play with and that they each get off at a set time. Um, yep. Then making sure that we assign someone to the most popular cart, which was the beer cart. And that we had two students that would go out and drive the beer cart around and offer golfers uh, beverages. And then the most important part that I worked with was at the end, where we made sure that the reception and the food was ready and that all of the prizes were there. So we had all of the prizes from the trophies to the fishing rods for those who had the worst scores. Oh, yes. I mean, as I said, like there's just so much you can do on the golf course and uh, prizes, ceremonies, food and beverage is certainly, you know, an important aspect because golf is just more than um, being on the course and playing those 18 holes. What transpires even before tea time and after is as as important. Now, going back a little earlier, you mentioned sports sponsorship. I worked with sports sponsorship at the Orange Bowl Committee, but a lot of our listeners don't understand what that is. So tell them what's involved in sports sponsorship and why they should consider that as a possible career. Oh, yes, uh, certainly. And I think sports sponsorship is such an evolving space, uh, especially with you know everything that's going on with the various different platforms that one can look at as far as sponsorship is concerned. So in very simple words, uh, sports sponsorship is is basically uh, a division in sports where a specific brand uh, or league can look at partnering with a sports property to be able to build their brand awareness uh, using a specific sports event. So for example, if we take, you know, Coca-Cola as, as an example, as a brand. So uh, Coca-Cola has a very diverse portfolio of sports uh, investments. They sponsor NASCAR, they sponsor a few, you know, uh, athletes as well, and they have global partnerships with the likes of FIFA, so on and so forth. And so what does that whole, like why, why is a, brand, a global brand like Coca-Cola investing their marketing dollars, so to speak, with all these events. So the reason is very simple. They want to be able to partner with all these, you know, rights holders and teams and athletes to be able to reach their target audience uh, by using sports as a platform. So that's essentially what it is, uh, you know, sports sponsorship. And uh, speaking of which, it it actually is something that I do on a day-to-day basis in my current role at Nielsen. Um, I was actually first introduced to the sponsorship side of things uh, while I was working at the PGA Tour. Um, After my time at Disney, I uh, was able to secure a full-time job with the PGA Tour um, out of their corporate partnerships uh, satellite office in New York City. Uh, And that, that specific team was essentially responsible for selling or of, uh, you know, specifically assigned title uh, title sponsorships and official marketing partnerships. So as my, you know, in, on, in my day-to-day, I was responsible for building proposals and PowerPoint presentations, and we would meet with, you know, Fortune 500 companies uh, and really help them understand, like, how 
the, how their investment in a specific PGA Tour event can really help them uh, reach their target audience. So that was my initial exposure uh, or experience as far as sports sponsorship is concerned. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, as uh, as every year has passed by, you know, every specific uh, marketing dollar that's being assigned is driven by data, is driven by analytics. Um, I think gone are the days where, you know, you used to hear stories where every uh, golf tournament, let's say, uh, was sponsored by, by an XYZ sponsor because the chief executive officer was a golf fan. And he felt that, you know, well, this is, you know, golf is a great sport uh, for us to be able to reach our target audience. Uh, and so we should sponsor this event. Today, um, the chief marketing officer has to justify every single penny that's being invested as part of their, you know, sports sponsorship portfolio. And so that's where data and analytics plays a huge role, right? And so during my time with the PGA Tour, I worked with uh, Nielsen. So Nielsen is really the leading source of sports measurement and analytics, where we work with uh, anyone and everyone in sport uh, from, you know, top brands, leagues, teams, athletes, uh, rights holders, you name it, you know, everyone works with Nielsen. And our role essentially is responsible to be able to work with uh, the various stakeholders that invest in sports sponsorship for them to be able to justify uh, the marketing spend that they are, that they have in place. So um, basically after my time at the PGA Tour, I, I was fortunate enough to get this great opportunity to work with Nielsen as part of their whole you know, sports sponsorship division. Uh, and as I said, like, you know, we are uh, the leading source of sports measurement and analytics, uh, and we provide solutions, you know, spanning cross-platform media evaluation, fan insights, um, research, which is a huge part of, uh, of sponsorship, uh, and then digital and social analysis. Um, my role, I would say, I've been here at Nielsen for about four years. My role has certainly evolved. Uh, in the last four years, but currently, uh, you know, I uh, I sit under a brand's vertical, so I am responsible for leading our client services efforts to provide our clients with data-driven insights across all of their sports sponsorship portfolios. So it's essentially a lot of data and analytics uh, and really understanding, like, what are the key objectives of a brand when they're looking to partner with a professional sports team, an athlete, uh, or even an esports team. Like, what are they looking to, you know, accomplish? Uh, and that's where you know, a third party like Nielsen comes in because uh, we have the data to support um, and really assure them that this is the right investment as far as their uh, sponsorship is concerned. And how does Nielsen obtain this data? Well, that's a great question. So. For the most part, I think, uh, depending on the service, we have a lot of our own proprietary technology. So like media evaluation uh, is our own Nielsen's in-house proprietary technology. It's an AI technology where, uh, and I can obviously, you know, certainly want to talk to it from the brand side because I work with a lot of uh, global brands on a day-to-day -day basis. So think of any live sport event and so let's maybe think of the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, 
Pepsi has been a sponsor of the Super Bowl. So during the Super Bowl, how many times does the Pepsi logo appear on screen? Uh, uh, so basically, what's the total duration the Pepsi logo appeared on screen? What uh, how, and what's the what, what are the number of exposures? And what does this whole uh, you know what does all of this translate into media value dollars? Because at the end of the day, that's what a brand is trying to understand. So let's say and I'm totally making this up, but let's say the Pepsi uh, you know uh, invests about a million dollars for the Super Bowl. Um, given our proprietary technology, where we are able to understand the number of eyeballs on that specific, uh, you know, whether it's a commercial or even live sport, we are able to understand the associated media value that Pepsi would have received by, you know, sponsoring the, the Super Bowl. So, and that's where we come in and share those data and insights with with the brand and like tell them like. This is how much you've paid, and this is what your ROI or return on investment looks like. And so, based on that information, you know, a brand can essentially work with uh, the the sports property or team, uh, and and you know, further their uh, their sports sponsorship journey. Now, I saw on LinkedIn that you had posted about the Nielsen Index Score database. Explain that to our listeners. And how is Certainly. that used? Yeah, so I think uh, this is one of our recent proprietary uh, Nielsen Index score. And this actually is uh, very timely given uh, everything going on uh, with the NCAA's you know, name, image, and likeness rules. So you know, in layman's terms, the Nielsen Index score database is really designed to help a university's team staff, showcase the impact its program can have on prospective players. So this the database essentially can allow universities to quantify the value of their program uh, and showcase it to you know, potential student athletes. Like why should you, uh, you know, sign with our school uh, instead of another one that, that is of interest to you? Um, so it all again ties into you know, all the data that we have at our disposal and we use a lot of different, you know, uh, indicators that uh, kind of, you know, confirm or justify uh, these specific uh, data points. But that's essentially it, right? I mean, we will, like this tool really allows collegiate sports teams to value athlete marketability under uh, the NCAA's name, image, likeness rules uh, that are in play these days. Now, I noticed that um, during the Olympics, you had posted some information about Nielsen being able to show the number of female fans for different events. How does that work? Is this like the old Nielsen TV ratings? Um, well, it depends. Um, are you talking about like the inclusive? Uh, I think I posted something around uh, how inclusive the Olympic Games are. Correct. Uh, right. So, so it again, I think it just comes down to the number of different data points that we have at our, at our exposure. Um, I think 
the the various tools uh, that we use, I think one of them was Nielsen Fan Insights, where we are able to collect data uh, by various countries and really understand like who is viewing what kind of sport, Olympic sport in this example, and from which part of the world. So I think some of the interesting data points that came through was, you know, the percentage of fans interested in women's uh, women's events uh, was really led by gymnastics. If I remember correctly, there were about 86% uh, women who were really tuned into gymnastics. I think it was followed by swimming at 82% and tennis at 79%. So I think the point that we're trying to make here is that there is tremendous amount of interest as far as you know, women's sport uh, is concerned. And even through, uh, to your point around like TV ratings, we have that level of information as well, uh, where we, we found a trend where um, women viewers are specifically attuned to be able to, you know, follow certain types of sports as well. Now you had uh, some information about a Nielsen report, the changing value of sponsorship. How has esports come in as a key player, and how do you project esports is going to do in terms of sports sponsorship dollars? So that is a very broad question, but I'm glad you brought it up because esports is. Undeniably, the next big thing in in all of sports sponsorship. Um, I think we're projecting by 2024, the whole esports ecosystem would be, you know, north of five billion dollars. Um, every uh, every few months, we see a lot of these big players in esports. Um, when you look at all all the leagues, uh, not just in North America but but globally as well, like increasing the number of teams that participate. So the number of teams, uh, as they increase, so will the, the opportunities for, for sports sponsorship. So uh, I think, uh, at least from what I'm seeing with, with a lot of our prominent brand clients, they're certainly looking at esports as a way to grow their, their presence uh, across various you know, channels. Um, without naming, uh, naming a brand, like, you know, I, I can tell you that uh, there is tremendous amount of interest uh, across various categories. Um, uh, I think a couple of years back, people were still trying to get an understanding of is esports the right platform for them to be able to reach their target audience. But today, you know, that conversation is is uh, is no longer in in question because today people are looking at various categories, like how can uh, a specific brand be like the medical supplier of the League of Legends, uh, or how can a specific uh, brand partner with, you know, a specific influencer in the esports space? And I think that is again something which makes esports so unique is the fact that there are quite a few different, uh, you know, players, esports players who have a massive following on social media. Um, so a lot of we've seen a lot of uh, the traditional sports sponsorship giants obviously dig into the space, but we're also seeing a lot of up and coming brands uh, who you would traditionally not see invested in sports sponsorship also come in and you know kind of dip their toes, if you will, into esports uh, because they feel like 
you know, everyone's uh, partnering with the NFLs and the NHLs of the world. And uh, that's great. But my target audience is more aligned with the esports audience. Um, and that depends uh, on, on which market and uh, audience you're, you're trying to capture. But um, a lot of uh, up and coming young brands are looking at esports as a way to reach millennials. So it's interesting. And, and I feel like, you know, with every passing year, esports is only going to grow in terms of uh, the kind of um, media command that they would have. Um, they, I mean, esports is a very futuristic space already. I think it's been also interesting to see how uh, it, it was just a given that a lot of esports uh, viewership would be essentially available through streaming channels. And now that's a trend now that we're seeing in traditional sponsorship as well. Uh, but that was something that was really propagated by esports as a space. So I know that was a long-winded answer to oh, your no, question, but uh, uh, trust me when I say this, like esports is a great place to be, and especially for young professionals. If you're interested in the gaming gaming field, if you're interested in learning about, uh, you know, the various aspects of uh, esports, like there is not a better time than today to be able to get that experience. Now, Vatik, what would you suggest for our listeners to concentrate on in terms of skill sets that they're developing if they want to work in this data, data analytics and business development space? Yeah, so I think uh, with data and analytics, there are multiple ways that you can go, right? Uh, the first thing which is very common today is every almost every sports team has a business intelligence department. Um, and business intelligence, uh, if you want to be you know, immersed in that space, you need to learn uh, SQL, which is structured query language. It is, uh, it is a tool, uh, it's a language essentially, which really helps run all the databases that all these teams have exposure to. So I think learning SQL will go a long way uh, if anyone walks, wants to work in data and analytics. Uh, the other uh, platform that I would encourage our viewers to, to certainly get exposure to is Tableau. Uh, and Tableau is nothing but a very, uh, you know, uh, an interesting data visualization tool where if you have access to a lot of data and if you are able to use this tool to be able to tell uh, story through compelling visuals using data, uh, you will you know, go a long way uh, as far as you know, the business intelligence side of things is concerned. So I think that is one piece where I would certainly encourage SQL and Tableau uh, having some sort of experience with those tools. Uh, the other thing uh, and which people kind of you know, don't take so seriously uh, when in school is getting a good grip of Microsoft Excel. And I can't stress this enough, like, you know, Microsoft Excel, like everyone has their own uh, comfort level with it. Like sometimes you can do a basic pivot table. Sometimes you can draw charts using Excel. But uh, believe you me, like if you are in a stats class and if you have the ability to learn uh, whether it's various formulas or building basic pivot tables or pie charts, I think that will also go a long way 
for you to you know get your foot in the door um, because any company that's looking to hire someone as a data analyst they will always give you an assignment that will have to do with Microsoft Excel so getting a mastery of Microsoft Excel is is, is certainly something that will serve serve you in the long run if you're looking at data and analytics uh, as a career path in the sports industry. Now, is this area where you're working one that persons with uh, STEM backgrounds and the science, technology, and engineering fields will do better than those in the humanities? I No, not necessarily. Uh, I think it's not necessarily because I have, like, personally, yes, I have an engineering degree, but I went uh, a different, you know, I took a different path where I started in operations, I did business development, then I got exposure to sports sponsorship, and then eventually I landed this role, which was more data-centric, but then still being able to focus on, like, mark on the marketing side of things, on the sponsorship side of things. So uh, you don't really need uh, a STEM uh, degree or a background to be able to be successful in these roles. As I said, like, as long as you have a good command of SQL, uh, of Tableau, um, and Excel, uh, you know, these are some of the three to four, uh, I would say, key skill sets, then you should, there, there is no reason why you cannot, you know, secure an internship or a full-time position in this space. This is great information, um, especially about an area that is up and coming and, and continuing to grow. Now it's overtime. overtime. What book do you suggest aspiring sports administrators read? Hmm, that's a good question. So I can share a couple of uh, recommendations. Uh, I think one. Um, would be the book that I recently released, which is The Masters of the Game. Um, and I think it's it's a great book if you are in the sports industry, if you want to join the sports industry, um, if you even if you're a student, like there, there's just so much information. And so me and my co-author have been able to compile a list of 20 executives who made an impact in the sports industry. Uh, it's called Masters of the Game, uh, and that's the book. Uh, outside of that, uh, you know, I'm big on uh, books that inspire you, that motivate you. So one book which, you know, I've, I've read this book a couple of years ago, but it always, uh, I always find myself turning the pages again, is uh, called Can't Hurt Me. And this is a book by David Goggins, who uh, has a real larger-than-life story himself. Um, he's known as the toughest man alive in the world. Um he is a Navy SEAL, he's an Army Ranger, and he's an Air Force tactical air controller. Uh, and he wrote this book um, to really share his life experiences. And it's interesting how, you know, he talks about the 40% rule where, you know, it, it, he essentially positions it in a way that people in their day-to-day -day lives only use 40% of their capabilities. They only tap into 40% of their own capabilities. So, uh, there is so much that one can accomplish if we push ourselves uh, to be able to cross that 40% mark, essentially. So uh, I, I gave you a sports recommendation, but I also gave you a book uh, which uh, 
you know, certainly inspires me. And I, I know a lot of people have drawn a lot of inspiration from that book as well. Now, you mentioned that you had a co-author, but you didn't mention your co-author's name. Oh, I apologize. Well, uh, my co-author is Dr. Jason Pappas. He is a sports prof- uh, sport management professor at Florida State University. Uh, his focus is uh, professional development in sport. Um, and I've known him for the longest time. I think he played a very important role uh, for to provide me with the opportunities uh, uh, that I have today, uh, securing those volunteering opportunities, those first full-time internships. Uh, so I could not have, you know, asked for a better uh, co-author to 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 work with as we went along this, uh, you know, author journey. What's been your best day on the job? Huh. Well, I work in the business of. Uh, you know, making our clients uh, feel good about their investments. So I think, um, I don't think I can really point to one best day, but I will just say like, I find a lot of uh, pride in the work that I do. So whenever I get, whenever I work on a project and I hear from a client uh, and they, they, they reach back out to me and, you know, even just send me a very simple thank you that, you know, our, relationship, our data and and insights was able to help them secure a partnership or was really, uh, you know, um, an important piece of the whole puzzle when they were trying to figure out uh, their whole, you know, marketing spend. I think that is certainly a day that uh, brings a smile to my face. Uh, so n- not one particular day I've had quite a few where, you know, clients have reached out and uh, that's, that's what, uh, that's what we do at Nielsen. And what's been your worst day on the job? Well, I don't know if I, there is a worst day. Um, I, I can just, maybe I can reframe the question and say like, every day is different. Um, there are days where I am disappointed, where if I'm not able to meet a client's expectations. Uh, I think that is where I'm a little disappointed, but uh, again, like I pride, uh, you know, the company that I work for and the kind and the quality of work that we, you know, produce to, to help our clients make their business decisions. So uh, let me put it this way. There are character building days rather than worse days. Okay. Okay. And what is your go-to inspirational quote? All right. Uh, my go-to inspirational quote would be uh, by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I look up to uh, for a number of reasons. But his quote is, be humble, be hungry, and always be the hardest worker in the room. That's good advice. Good advice. And what is a motivational movie that you suggest young professionals watch? Um, I can name a few. Um I think one movie I always go back to, uh, and and even if it's like playing on television, I always stop and watch is The Pursuit of Happiness. Um, Will Smith and his son. Um, and it, the, the very fact that it's based on a real life story uh, is, is incredible. And there's just so much that one can learn from that movie. Every time I watch it, uh, I always take away, uh, you know, great uh, positive insights from it. So I think that's one. 
Uh, and when I'm looking for inspiration, I always throw on Rocky, <laughs> Rocky IV. Um, that, that's such an incredible movie. Um, so yeah, I, I would say like these two movies, Pursuit of Happiness and then Rocky. And Vaitik, how can listeners get in touch with you? Are you on social media? Uh, I sure am, yes. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you just type my name, uh, you'll be able to get in touch with me. Feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, so if you just search for my name, uh, I, I, I'm available there as well. And more than uh, I enjoy uh, chatting with people on Twitter as well. I think it's a very powerful platform. Uh, and then other than that, like, uh, you know, you can always contact me through our book website, which is mastersofthegamebook.com. Um, there's, there's a section where you can contact us. So, you know, whenever people reach out to us, whether it's for orders or getting to know more about the various executives, uh, you know, we always get those notifications and that's a great way for anyone to reach out and uh, connect with me as well. And Vatik spells his name V-R-A-T-I-K and Sharma. Sharma is the last name. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've had a lot of information to share. I think it's going to be very helpful to our listeners. And we wish you all the best as you continue searching for your big chair. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.